Hey y'all, welcome back as we continue on and journey into 1 Samuel today through our podcast journey. And the books of Samuel were split into two books because the scrolls were just too long. This is really one book, but they the scrolls got too long, so they, they split it in two. And it starts out when there were no kings in Israel yet. This was later in the time of the judges, right around the really, when it got really, really bad around those last four-ish chapters of, of the book of Judges. And then that's when this um, Samuel steps in. And we'll go ahead and start into our book of Samuel with 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth in the hill country of, of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Ehu, Elihu, and son of Tohu, son of Zuth of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. And um, this was where the tabernacle was first home in, in Joshua chapter 18, actually. And we'll continue. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penana and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only the one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penana would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. So there was bullies, right? From the beginning of time, there's been bullies, y'all. And um, she was mean. She was evil. She was making fun of Hannah because she had children, but Hannah did not. And this was a faithful Israelite man. This The man of this household was a faithful Israelite man. And keep in mind, this is the time of the judges. This was extremely rare to find during this horrific time in history. And Penana, her name means pearl, by the way. And um, yeah, we'll go ahead with that. <laughs> so she would taunt her in verse seven. After year after year, it was the same. Penana would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. So in in the ancient ancient times of this is of this time period in context, being barren was significant because it was similar to saying you're cursed. You you can't have children. You're not you're not having children or bringing forth children. This was very significant in their culture of the time. So her, she's taunting her and teasing her and crushing her her heart, and she already she wants children. That's her desire. So her taunting is is very mean. In verse 8, why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? And why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? And I laugh at this because <laughs> her desire is to have children. So no, I'm sorry, but it's not. But the point is we can, we can trust in God's sovereignty. We can trust in the God who created us. We can trust in his mighty hand and in his will and ways. 
in verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for the, his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. So she's saying he's going to be a Nazarite child from the day he was born for the rest of his life. He would be a Nazarite. He would be dedicated, set apart, and solely dedicated to work for God and be God's. And she continues in verse 12. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli was watching her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought that she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am wicked or a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. So she's praying so fervently and so wholeheartedly that he legit thinks she's drunk. Like that is real sincere prayer. That is not just lip service. That is how we should pray in complete, holy, 100% submission to God. In verse 17, in that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. She was encouraged. She The, the priest encouraged her, and she was encouraged. And this is really a passage for prayer, an example example for prayer and how to passionately pray and to pray for true prayer and not just performance and out of obligation. In verse 19, the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. And the next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy's weaned. Then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he had granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. And so this is a heartfelt prayer. She she knew this son was God's. She knew that he belonged to God. He was God's, and she she was loaned him. He didn't belong to her. He was on loan to her, and but he truly, he truly belonged to God, and that's something to keep in mind with our children. Our children belong to God; they are God's, and we can trust God with our children. They've been entrusted to us for a season to 
steer them in the right direction and take care of them and tend to their needs and raise them up into who God has created them to be. But they are ultimately God's children. In chapter 2, Hannah responds in praise. Verse 1, Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one else beside you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you've done, and he will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumble are now strong. Those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but he raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes and places them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven, and the Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king, but he increases the strength of his anointed one. Then Elkanah returned home to Ramah without Samuel, and the boys served the Lord by assisting Eli the priest. So this is a, a phrase, a thanksgiving, a rejoicing, a literary introduction to this book of Samuel. And God opposes the proud and exalts the humble. He, despise, he despises evil and all the evil around us, but he is alive, he is working, and he will raise an anointed king who will execute and bring out God's judgments, and he does raise Jesus. Jesus comes forth, and he dies so that we can be free from sin. He dies so that we could be forgiven from our sin, and we could be righteous before God, and he gave everything so we could have life in God. And... Um, We'll continue on in verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who made no respect for the Lord. So here we have a quick shift in the text. So they gave no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. When everyone, whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork. While the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servants would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar, and he would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that he could be used so that it could be used for roasting. And this is against God's direction. God directed when sacrifices are being brought that yes, a portion is to go to the priest, but it's in there's a proper order and proper direction. The first and foremost is to be given to God, and they're going against God's very direction. And these are men who are supposed to be representing God, but they don't even know him. They're not doing anything God, that God said that they're supposed to do. They were taking much more than their share that God had allotted for them. In verse 16, the man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, no, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. Like, this offering belongs to God, so they're stealing it from God. 
in verse 18. But Samuel, though he was only a boy, he served the Lord. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest, and each year his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one she gave to the Lord. And the Lord blessed Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing. To the people of Israel, he knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. So not only that, but he's, they're also adulterating other women in front of the tabernacle, the very place that is supposed to be kept holy for God. In verse 23, Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things that you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, but the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. With God, there's always a meanwhile. So this corruption is going on. They're stealing from God. So he says, who can intercede? And he just, he doesn't really try very hard to stop the boys in this, in this script. We don't know what, what else might have happened, but he's just like, hey, you know, stop it, boys. But they don't. They keep on stealing from God and, and doing all these evil things to the Israelites who are trying to bring legit heartfelt worship and sacrifice to God, their Lord. One day, a man of God came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord. I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear priestly vests as he served me. And I assigned the sacrificial offerings to you priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I promise that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests, but I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family, so it will no longer serve as my priests. All the members of your family will die before their time. No one will reach old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few not cut off from serving at my altar will survive, but only so their eyes can go blind and their hearts break and their children will die a violent death. And to prove that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die in the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family and they will be priests to be my anointed kings forever. Then all of your surviving family will bow before him, begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests so we will have enough to eat. So he's saying, look, judgment is coming. This is not okay. This has to be accounted for. You are robbing God and God's people of worship in glory that God deserves. God is glorious and amazing. And God is to be revered and feared. He is God. He's in control. 
God is giving him a second chance to parent right. And a harsh judgment is coming because their sons are abusing their voices as priests. This can also be applied to the current state of Israel. Like they are not right with God. And a lot of us, we struggle with sin because we just aren't willing to lay it down and stop the cycle and call on God to help us. Just lay it down and seek after God and his righteousness, his holiness. He is God. And unlike this priesthood with a Levite who has a, a, a concubine in 19, a different kind of priest, like remember in, in 19 of Judges where the, the priest had a concubine and it was evil and there's all this corruption. This is in those same time periods. But he's raising up a Levite that is going to be a different kind of priest and that will do what is in God's heart because this is a time of corruption. This is evil. So he's about to raise up a priest that is right with God, a priest that will do what God asks, a priest whose heart is after God in all the holiness of God, in all the righteousness of God. So they are in a state of in between what's going to happen next. And here is where we will leave off as we see tomorrow what happens for this family. Thanks, y'all.